hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. I want to start out with this show regarding an update many of you have heard through social media and major media uh, that myself, Dr. Peter McCullough, has received a letter uh, threatening professional harm and potential dis- disciplinary action from the American Board of Internal Medicine. I received my letter on May 26, 2022. I found out on the same day that many of the leaders in the pandemic response have also received similar letters. Uh, They sent out on the same day Dr. Pierre Corey of the Frontline Critical Care Network, Dr. John Littell, early treatment doctor in Florida, and scores of other doctors who are probably at this point in time afraid to come out and indicate what's happening. These are overt attempts at censorship, limitation of freedoms, and professional injury. The loss of uh, board certification that was rightly bestowed upon anyone who uh, fulfilled all the criteria, including completing fellowship and concluding uh, residencies, taking the necessary exams, the board exams, the recertification exams, the fees, Um, endless uh, hours of uh, continuing medical education to threaten all of that because a board now believes that they have the the moral right to determine what is information versus what is misinformation uh, as they approach statements made by a medical expert takes us to a whole new era of censorship reprisal and professional injury only in the area of COVID-19. I can tell you this doesn't exist anywhere else. We don't have uh, these problems in any other disease area. We could have a controversy in cardiovascular disease or cancer. Uh, Doctors could vehemently believe in one treatment versus another, and a letter would not come out from the American Board of Internal Medicine. It only is in the area of COVID and it started very early. It started uh, as we began to treat patients with COVID-19. We felt censorship, reprisal, professional injury and attempts to block our efforts to save lives and to spare hospitalizations. So it started early, something very disturbing with COVID. That's probably the reason why many of you listen to this report. Specifically in my letter, It points out testimony under oath, including the Texas Senate March of 2021 statements I made under oath. And uh, as a citizen, if I'm called before the Texas uh, or any other state Senate or U.S. Senate, I have the right to give my opinions under oath as any other citizen would. And yet these statements now are being used against me by a professional board. Well, what's transpired is Senator Ron Johnson's become involved. I reached out to him. He sent a letter to the American Board of Internal Medicine. He asked them uh, to appear in public with uh, up to eight experts of their choosing uh, to face me. And uh, and I could also 
have individuals chosen uh, uh, with me that we could have a fair roundtable discussion on the issues in the open. Dates were given and the American Board of Internal Medicine, Dr. Richard Barron leading that group, uh, did not respond directly to uh, Johnson. Instead, he tweeted that uh, the ABIM is going to try to gain even greater force and strength by recruiting the American Medical Association into this uh, giant effort to hunt out, root out, and destroy what they call misinformation. And uh, as a medical expert, I can simply tell you these are my expert analyses, opinion, and based on the data and everything I mention is uh, completely cited. So we have uh, a situation in medicine that's very, very alarming. There's been statewide calls, national calls on how to respond to that. The first music piece that I played in the background, I hope you uh, could hear it, uh, was a music by Henry Jackman. And this was uh, called Taking a Stand, and it was from Captain America, the Winter Soldier, because I do feel at this point in time uh, we need to make uh, a stand. And um, uh, we've had so many calls where uh, attorneys uh, are looking to get involved, but uh, they're concerned about their attorney's fees. And uh, others uh, want to help out, but they're concerned about their own personal situation. And I made this statement uh, on the call last night that you know I'm involved in, in dozens and dozens and dozens of cases trying to help individuals, organizations, the military, uh, public service workers. And I don't let expert fees become a barrier in making these cases go forward with my expert opinion, which has taken one case actually all the way to the Supreme Court. That's what brought down the Biden mandates te te testimony by myself and Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford. I do all my work pro bono, and I think until attorneys also do all their work pro bono and really get on the same team, we cannot let attorneys' fees be a barrier to us trying to move forward and break through and fight for our freedoms. Well, we have a terrific show this week, and uh, I wanted to let you know that um, I spent a lot of time with uh, a special guest, Dr. James Thorpe. And Dr. Thorpe is a obstetrician-gynecologist who uh, has tremendous experience now in the clinical vignettes of uh, issues of fertility, first trimester, second trimester, and third trimester. Uh, pregnancies, and then, of course, in the post-delivery phase of scenarios where women, the babies, or both have been injured by the COVID-19 vaccine. So Dr. James Thorpe, a terrific interview. We go through this. I get so many questions on pregnancy. I get so many questions on uh, lactation, uh, fertility, uh, which vaccine to take. Uh, I thought I'd really lay it out with a long-style interview with Dr. James Thorpe, who's a board-certified internal uh, obstetrician-gynecologist who's based in uh, Florida. So I hope you uh, enjoyed that interview. So let's get on with it on the backside. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. This is Dr. Peter McCullough. Do you know there's no other condition that I'm aware of where vitamins and supplements make such a big difference than COVID-19. We have a, an abundance of data that we need to be replete with a variety of micronutrients, and that includes vitamins, minerals, 
and other substances our bodies need. I rely on Healthy Cell Super Boost. That's immune super boost. It's a, a gel pack that can be taken every day. I like to do it before I exercise and before I go out. It's a wonderful supplement. It gives me the immune super boost that I need. Go to HealthyCell.com, use the promotional code OUTLOUD, and get a discount on your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients, like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day, pill-free, ultra-absorption ingestible gel. It tastes great, comes in a convenient squeeze gel pack, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. COVID is in another wave, and I can tell you it's hitting senior homes and nursing homes, and I know this firsthand. We're into our third year of this. Please check with your family members and friends who are in independent living or in skilled nursing or memory care. Do they have a COVID-19 readiness kit? Are they ready to go, or are you have are you going to go on the scan, uh, scramble when you're called and told they have COVID. Remember when someone has COVID, you can't go into their room. It's hard to do. Every person should be outfitted with the armamentarium of uh, supplies that they need to handle the illness. And one of the most important ones is Cofix RX. Cofix RX is povidone iodine with a special solution that's sprayed up the nose and it works to fight SARS-CoV-2 and other viruses. It helps prevent transmission and helps patients get through the illness. Please make sure each and every one of your loved ones in the senior home is outfitted with Cofix RX. I can tell you today, my wife is running to a family member in a senior home bringing Cofix RX, and we don't want to get behind on stopping the virus. So please, Go to our website, America Out Loud Talk Radio, and go to the banner bar. 
click on Cofix RX that you'll take to the site, type in out loud, that's the discount, take a discount off your purchases and make sure your loved ones are protected in the senior home with Cofix RX. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the microphone for the first time, really based on so many questions that we get on the McCullough Report and on Pulse from women and concerned men regarding what we consider uh, fertility and maternal fetal medicine, and then on to basically gynecologic care. So many people have questions regarding the COVID-19 vaccines because women who are pregnant and women of childbearing potential who could not guarantee contraception were strictly excluded from the randomized trial. So we uh, you know, didn't have that important piece of data to even um, draw inferences on this. The vaccines were released. And in fact, women in these categories did take the vaccines. So I've asked to the microphone, Dr. James Thorpe. Dr. Thorpe uh, received his bachelor's degree from Western uh, Michigan University. Then he went on to Wayne State University School of Medicine in Detroit, which uh, is one of these tried and true medical schools. And I know about it very well, where the the um, the, res- the uh, medical students uh, train at uh, Detroit Receiving Hospital. It's one of the largest and busiest public hospitals in the nation, as well as uh, Detroit Medical Center. He went on from there to University of Colorado in Denver, which I know is one of the hardest institutions that you can get a residency in because it's such a high caliber uh, institution. I've given grand rounds there myself. And, and now he is in uh, one of the largest practices of obstetrics and gynecology in the United States, a large Catholic system. And he has great understanding of what's going on now, just because of the sheer volume of cases that he is managing. Uh, Dr. Thorpe, welcome to the McCullough Report. Dr. McCullough, thank you so much for having me on your platform this morning. And I just want to just thank you so much for your leadership. Uh, you're, you're one of my heroes, and you have motivated me over the last two years to do what I'm doing and to stand out. And um, you're a true American hero, and God bless you, sir. Well, thank you. And God bless you. We took time out of Father's Day. This is so important on Father's Day to get together and cover this topic. So I want to start with uh, the very first um, steps in conception. What do we know about the COVID-19 vaccines? And we can restrict our conversation to the messenger RNA vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna, and then the adenoviral vaccines, Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca. What do we know, let's say, on the woman's side of fertility? Well, I think what we know at this point in time, Dr. McCullough, is uh, really we, we know what we don't know. And we, we really don't know anything. And it would appear that, uh, according to sources, very, uh, I think, sources that I have a lot of confidence in, um, for example, Michael Yeadon, uh, former VP, that, that they knew uh, a lot of the pharmacokinetics of the lipid nanoparticles and, and, and also um, the, the possibly the spike protein. So just we know that, that there's a concentration of the lipid nanoparticles in the ovaries. We, we do know that. And, and so that's of great concern. What we don't know 
is what the permanent alterations are um, or the temporary alterations. And, and from my perspective, that was a mandated prerequisite for unleashing this brand new experimental therapy uh, on, on, on women of reproductive age. Well, you know, I, I have to tell you, on the McCullough Report, I interviewed a Greek uh, basic scientist who's in Italy, Dr. Polycretus, and he had a paper out that we reviewed, and he believes that any cell that takes up messenger RNA and starts to produce the spike protein, he believes those cells are killed. That, uh, in fact, the expression of spike protein within any cell is basically a call, a call for the immune system to attack it. It's an interesting hypothesis. And he had the data in vitro to show that. And I did ask him that. I said, listen, if, if some of these lipid nanoparticles land in the ovary, what does this mean? You know, there was a paper from China about two years before the vaccines were released, and it showed these lipid nanoparticles go to the corpus luteum of the ovary. And he said, you know what? We, we can never know until we actually get some histologic uh, specimens of ovaries. He said, I, he goes, I bet every cell is killed. Uh, and, and that would mean uh, the germinal cells, the ones that are producing the eggs. Now, a woman only has so many eggs in the course of her life. Is that right? That's exactly right, Dr. McCullough. Um, actually, a female fetus, say by 30 weeks, has all the ovum, the gametes, um, the ovum, the eggs that she will have her entire life. And this is why I, what keeps me up in the middle of the night is they haven't excluded the possibility of a mass genocide. They told us that the mRNA, the, the pseudouridinated mRNA, uh, would stay in the arm. Well, they knew it didn't. They, they lied to us about that. Then they called people like me, uh, tinfoil hat conspiracists and saying that there's a possibility that it could permanently alter the human DNA genome. They said, oh, that's crazy. It would never do that. Well, now, guess what? We have two papers this year suggesting that indeed reverse transcriptase allows that RNA, the, the, the man-made, not God-made RNA, to reverse transcribe into the human genome two papers. So they apparently knew that, and they apparently lied to us about that. So if that's true, every woman that gets this vaccine, whether she's pregnant or not, and every fetus that gets it will have possibly their DNA altered for the, in their ovum for the rest of their life. And this could be, and I don't want to be I don't want to say that this is going to happen, but it should have been excluded. It could be a massive genocide. If all of the female reproductive capability is altered and, the, uh, and then her children, her grandchildren will have this um, artificial DNA made by man, not by God, passed on from generation to generation. So, so you, these they are should have excluded this. Yeah, these are important inferences. And when we say they, we could say, in a sense, the uh, what we call the biopharmaceutical complex in our new book. I have a book out with John Lee called uh, Courage to Face COVID-19 
preventing hospitalizations and deaths while battling the biopharmaceutical complex. And, you know, we've explained when we say they, uh, it means uh, the World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, Gates Foundation, Wellcome Trust, CEPI, the Center for Epidemic Evaluation Preparedness and Innovation, CDC, NIH, FDA, Operation Warp Speed, uh, the big pharmaceutical companies, they work in a sense as a syndicate. They're very well coordinated with, uh, with a program to mass vaccinate the world. I didn't realize by, by uh, so early in gestation that the ovaries of the baby, the female baby, the fetus, uh, that, that the number of eggs are set. So you're right, during pregnancy, a, va a vaccination in pregnancy, not only is it the mother's risk, but it may be influencing the fertility of the fetus when the fetus becomes a baby, then a girl, then a mom. Uh, I wanted to bring out on the man side, this paper just was released. And it's curious, uh, Dr. Thorpe, this is released two days before Father's Day. And uh, the first author is Get and colleagues. And the title of the paper is COVID-19 vaccination with the Pfizer vaccine temporarily impairs semen concentration and total modal count among semen donors. And on my Twitter feed, P underscore McCullough MD, I have a summary of the paper. And what I typically do so people know is I take the, um, the title of the paper, I show the citation, I show the major data in the table and I highlight it so you can see it. And then you can see if it's me doing it because it'll have a C19 expert panel emblem on it. And this is what you see on Twitter right now. The important points out, out to 150 days, the upper limit of the confidence interval is a minus 35.4% uh, reduction in total mobile count, which is really the, I think the, the key thing to look at on a semen analysis. And that was highly statistically significant at 0.027. Now, my understanding is on this side of the equation that a, a man still can conceive down to about 40% uh, absolute modal sperm count. Is that true? That, that is true. Um, and, and I think that the, the male fertility factor is, is incumbent, not, not really just on the count, but on many other indices. So in general, I, I think that's true. And I just want to qualify my statements that remember that Dr. McCulloch, that, that uh, it's not that I don't care about spermatogenesis and male gametes and male um, reproductive organs. I, I do, but my focus is on women and female um, ovaries, and, and that's my area of expertise. I, I, I think that I, it's not surprising at all that, that the sperm counts are dramatically reduced. Um, you know, gosh, uh, they are dramatically reduced by a lot of um, a, a lot of stimuli. For example, when I was in the Air Force and I was an OBGYN doctor in the Cold War, um, you know, a lot of the um, a lot of the pilots that pull in a lot of G's and in their hot suits that they flew the fighters in, they they were infertile. They couldn't conceive. Uh, that was a temporary thing, and that was due to the G forces and and also the increase in temperature of the the flight suits that they had to wear. So I think that that the the reason why I'm so concerned about the ovum and the ovaries and females is because really they um, have, they don't produce 150 million 
sperm, you know, uh, with each ejaculation or each ovulation. Obviously, they only have a finite number, so the testes can recover. But it doesn't surprise me at all with all the data that you know and, and I know that this um, an inflammatory agent that goes to every organ in the body and appears to be concentrated in the testes like the ovaries, it's not surprising at all that it disrupts normal spermatogenesis. Well, here's the point. I think I tried to make this on Twitter, but I think you're making it very well. There is a range for each person of number of, in a woman, the number of eggs. Uh, in a man, there is a range of number of sperm, sperm concentration, sperm motility, and total modal count. There's a range. So people who are at the lower end of a range, by their nature, by their job, other environmental exposures, and then they take a vaccine, they could take them out of the range of potentially conceiving. Another common uh, illness or condition that I think of is endometriosis. So we'll get, we'll, at this point in time, we're done with the guys. Let's, fin- let's now talk about the girls. If there is already endometriosis, or there has been an ovarian cyst and a partial or complete ovarectomy on one side, uh, there's um, obesity and other, let's say, polycystic ovarian syndrome and other hormonal derangements. All these things reduce fertility to begin with. And if we take a vaccine, doesn't it follow logic that it could take a woman into the completely infertile range? Absolutely. Yes, you're right, Dr. McCulloch. And that's exactly what we've seen, Dr. McCulloch, exactly what I've seen. I take care of so many patients for preconception counseling. And, um, you know, it's it's always in regards to, you know, the back, well, most of the time now, the last few years, it's in regards to the vaccine. It's in regards to their recurrent miscarriages since they've had the vaccine. It's in regards to their really abnormal menses since they had the vaccine. And let's pick up on the issue now of a woman who's pregnant. Let's say she's in the first trimester and she's made the decision to take a vaccine. Um, How does this differ from medical practice and the use of other vaccines during pregnancy? Well, I'm gonna make some bold statements that I stand behind. The vaccine is contraindicated in pregnancy. It should have never ever been released. And I hold the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology and many other agencies responsible for this because they're the, uh, they are the regulating body telling all the 25,000 OBs and maternal field medicine docs like myself what to do. So I hold them accountable for this. They've broken, Dr. McCullough, they, they've broken the God's golden rule in pregnancy that has reigned for millennia for six millennia, every woman, every doctor, every person knows you never ever give a new substance, whether it's a naturopathic, whether it's a you know plant-derived, man-derived vaccine, drug, procedure, you don't ever roll that out in pregnancy. You don't ever use it the first couple of years after. You need to have long-term follow-up. And they broke that golden rule. The question is, why did they break that? They know it's wrong, but why did they break that golden rule and force all of these patients and all of these doctors to push 
a vaccine that wasn't properly vetted. Well, once we get, we'll get to the why a little bit later on in the interview, but uh, I want your reaction to this. Dr. Ray Stricker, who is a uh, allergist as well as a hematologist oncologist at San Francisco, formerly at University of California in San Francisco, Ray runs the largest fetal loss program in the United States. You know, what, how, how do you deal with women who've lost babies and um, have had a variety of uh, many of them hematologic or immunologic problems. So he's a real expert. Ray and I published in Trial Site News very early on that uh, our, our view was that the COVID-19 vaccines should be considered pregnancy category X. And what that means uh, for the listeners is that we know the vaccines have a dangerous mechanism of action. And we don't have any short or long-term data they give us assurances on safety. And what you say is that, listen, we'd have to have this you know, out and utilized for years before we'd ever consider it. Would you agree it's pregnancy category X? I would agree. And, and I'll take that one step further. Let's, let's talk about uh, Shema Bakura uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine article, June 17th, 2021. This, um, this is a travesty. This is... And this is my opinion, but this was ghost written by the pharmacy uh, P, uh, experts that are pushing the drug. This was not, I don't believe this was written by Shima Kaburo. Um, but if you look at that data, they pulled a classic bait and switch, Dr. McCullough. They said, oh, this is perfectly safe in pregnancy. There's, there's no increased risk of miscarriage when in fact, their actual data showed completely the opposite, Dr. McCullough. They said, okay, the risk of miscarriage is, you know, 13% um, in, in both the vaccinated and, and, and the, um, the unvaccinated. Uh, it, it's the same in the general population. Well, it wasn't, Dr. McCullough. What they did, the 90% or so of those women that were fouled by this ridiculous V-safe system that's totally unvetted and, and not validated scientifically. They took that and they said, well, you know, they put all the patients that got the vaccine in the third trimester, late second, third trimester, and they, they fraudulently put those in the first trimester. So it turns out that of the patients that got the vaccine in the first trimester, the risk of miscarriage depending on how you interpret uh, what you do with their lack of data now follow up is is approaching 90%. So it to your point Dr. McCulloch there's an abortion pill it's called RU486 methotrexone mm -hmm. and it's a it's an abortion pill and it's got black box warnings it's category X it's it's contraindicated in the general population with massive warnings but it's not as an effective abortifacient as the vaccine, according to the Shima Kaburo article. Well, that, yeah, that, that article was heavily criticized. There was almost a record number of letters to the editor of New England Journal of Medicine. They were flooded. And you know, the author, after being pounded from the medical community, revised the conclusions. And the conclusions were revised to say, listen, we really don't know the actual rates in the, of fetal loss in the first trimester. But I agree with you. I was, I was on some of these uh, letters to the editor, particularly from Canadian authorities. 
And the number from their data is 83% fetal loss. It could be higher. And uh, with a product that has a dangerous mechanism of action, we know the lipid nanoparticles install the genetic code for the Wuhan spike protein. This spike protein was altered and devised in a biosecurity lab in Wuhan, China. And you know, in a recent paper by Farkas and colleagues, published in military medicines, published in a peer-reviewed literature, you can go to pubmed.com and look up this paper. They have concluded that analyzing the virus, and they have a figure specifically calling out the spike protein, they say it meets criteria in their literature as a bioweapon. Absolutely. You know, you even go back to uh, the biodistribution data from the FOIA request of the Japanese Pfizer, and you're very familiar with that. Um, you, you, you go back to the article by Schlelich and colleagues back in 2012, uh, they, they knew of the potential reproductive disaster of the lipid nanoparticles. This is, this is really not new. So someone in my church, I found out about this through friends. She's in the second trimester. And uh, I want to say around 20 weeks. Uh, she's told by her ob that he or she will not deliver her baby unless she takes one of these vaccines. She takes the vaccine and promptly two days later, she has a stillbirth, uh, the loss of fetal motion. Uh, there's, there's great uh, distress. And she goes to our, our, our local county hospital in Dallas and, and actually has deliver, you know, delivery of a stillbirth um, fetus. Is that, is that real? Is that directly related to the vaccine? Uh, you know, on a more probable than not basis, if you were called into a court of law as an expert and they're asking your opinion, would you say that's due to the vaccine at 20 weeks? Absolutely, yes. Um, you, you know, and Pfizer admits it in their own, uh, in their own the, the data, the post-marketing data, 5.3.6 post-marketing data. You know, uh, Dr. McCulloch, I've had that data. I, it was leaked to me uh, 14 months ago. Now, uh, so I've been studying that, that piece of work for 14 months. That's why I said, I think the Shemat Bakura article was ghostwritten because the data is right out of that. It's almost identical. Um, but to the point I was going to make is, is that that data, it, it's, it's, it's very concerning. Um, it, is, um, it, it is of concern because they themselves note that in their pregnancy experience in that data, there were 274 pregnant women. The adverse effects, serious adverse effects were 27%, Dr. McCullough. And then another 19% had what they called non-serious effects. And you and I both know the bait and switch on the pharmaceutical industry's manipulation of those figures. But here in their own, there's almost 50% of pregnant women in their own, this is Pfizer's own data. Now, I've been following the VAERS data, as you know, for, for uh, over two years now. And, and Dr. Jessica Rose has as well. I, when I follow the data, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. I'm an analytics guy. I, I dig deep down into the weeds of the VAERS data. And, and here's what I see with the VAERS data. You know, I, I, I see there's, you ask, what is the risk of stillbirth? Listen, I, you know, in my practice, I've seen three 
uh, uh, near-term stillbirth is, uh, you know, in, in one week. That's unheard of, okay? Three near-term stillbirths in one week in, in our practice now. It's, and, and I would say this, Dr. Thorpe, if you attribute it clinically to the vaccine, and that's your call as a doctor, I would say one case is too many for the nation. One case. Do, do you see what I mean? The idea of it, it, it is so far from being acceptable. Uh, this would be like taking a new seizure medicine and just using it in, in a woman or any new medication. One case would be unacceptable. Let's focus in on the third trimester because the third trimester is where so many important mechanics in terms of uh, the placenta, uh, the, whole, um, the whole process of labor and delivery. It is very susceptible to both clotting and hemorrhage. And have you seen changes there in terms of placenta previa, uterine bleeding, hemorrhage, in addition to fetal loss? Um, placenta previa, I, I can't speak to that. Um, understand that, that I'm, um, I'm hogtied uh, by the systems as you are. We're, we're not allowed to go in and do any formal study. I've asked to, and I've kind of been um, told not to do that, but I can still analyze on my own. I've seen um, uh, substantially increased risk of fetal growth restriction. Uh, or what used to be called fetal growth retardation, intrauterine growth retardation. That's a huge issue in because in my business in maternal fetal medicine, we've known this for decades. Inflammation equals miscarriage, fetal death, fetal malformation, and uh, and arguably chromosomal abnormalities. Uh, arguably, uh, major malformations like like cystic hygroma and many others. So whenever there's inflammation, you cause problems with the fetus. We've known that for a long, long, long time. Well, so, isn't it true something so simple as uh, taking the vaccine in the third trimester? You mentioned the rates uh, of uh, serious adverse and adverse events. Isn't it so simple as uh, a fever precipitating a premature delivery? It, um, maybe not quite that simple, but I know that a fever can do that or inflammation can do that. And I know that, that fever uh, uh, elevated temperatures in the first trimester have been um, uh, correlated with fetal malformation, just like this vaccine has been. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. This would be the, the comeback. This is what I hear from OB-GYN colleagues. Uh, but Dr. Thorpe, COVID is a really bad disease in pregnant women. And we have to do something. We've been given these vaccines and pregnancy is a high risk condition. It's an immune compromised condition for COVID-19. What, what do you say to that? That's completely false argument. Yes, we've known for, uh, you know, since I've been doing OB for 42, 43 years, um, we, we do know that pregnant women are more susceptible to especially viral infections in the lung because of the altered uh, physiology of the fetus and the mother, the interaction, the interface immunologically, but also the colloid oncotic pressure, the fragility of the, the uh, air, uh, lung, um, blood barrier, the pulmonary capillary uh, barrier um, it is a little bit more susceptible to leaking um, ARDS type pictures that you're, you're very familiar with. So 
we, we've known that for a long time, but it's a completely false argument. Um, the OBs were fed a line. They were um, programmed and, and fed um, misinformation, much like you and I are accused of doing, but theirs is much more real. And so it's, it's, it's not appropriate because um, the argument is, is spacious. It completely collapses like a house of cards when we know that, first of all, uh, I see a huge number of patients with COVID-19, um, virgin and non-virgin with regard to the vaccine. And, and it's, 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 it's innocuous in the vast majority. And I would just point out, uh, throw your own work back in your face, is that you know the McCulloch protocol uh, shows very clearly that the vaccine was completely unnecessary completely unnecessary. You're, you, you know, I've quoted you in papers that I've written direct quotes from you. You know, you're well aware the McCulloch protocol would have prevented deaths. The McCulloch protocol is applicable to pregnancy. It, it's, it's what we should have used. We never should have used. And, and I'll go one step further in, in the patients that, you know, I've been using hydroxychloroquine in pregnancy for 40 years, you know, our uh, internal medicine colleagues, uh, rheumatologists have, you know, been treating all women uh, with, uh, not all women, uh, many women with autoimmune disease with hydroxychloroquine, 200 milligrams PO twice daily, ad um, infinitum, and we, I haven't even, we don't even take them off in the first trimester. That's how safe it is. And, and I have data, uh, experiential, that just 400 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine once a week in pregnancy is far safer and far more studied and far more effective than the vaccine. Well, you know, there actually are published papers on outcomes of using hydroxychloroquine in pregnant patients for the rheumatologic conditions as an example, specifically looking for any signals of safety. And we know here, this is one of the few drugs in all of medicine that we know is perfectly safe during pregnancy, perfectly safe. How about ivermectin? What do we know about ivermectin in pregnancy? Um, I, I would pretty much say ditto, except I don't have, we don't have the massive amount. Uh, you know, I would guess that there's been billions of doses of hydroxychloroquine in the last 85 years. Um, with regard to ivermectin, uh, we, we know that uh, it's my opinion that it is safe uh, it's safe in pregnancy and in breastfeeding moms, but there's I, I don't have as much experiential data. Um, I know that that the um, I know that the uh, FLCCC um, and and uh, working I'm working closely with them as their MFM and OB advisor, and we've looked at that. And stay tuned for their website for some pregnancy recommendations. Oh, good, good. Um, but, but, and, and how about inhaled? Uh, corticosteroids, oral corticosteroids. Those are very safe in pregnancy. And, and I would just, uh, uh, very, very safe in pregnancy. Okay. And then how about um, use of uh, azithromycin, aspirin, uh, also safe? Um, aspirin, we low-dose aspirin is very safe. And I think that, that um, we use 81 milligrams, mm -hmm. uh, at very safe. It, it, it's, we've used it for prevention of preeclampsia much like hydroxychloroquine has been used, by the way. Okay, and, um, and, and how about if we had a hypoxemic pregnant patient and we're worried about pulmonary microthrombosis, can we use forms of heparin in pregnancy? 
Um, uh, yes, um, Lovenax. I've I've used Lovenax extensively in pregnancy, and it's very safe. It's much safer than heparin. We can't use adult aspirin because it can close the ductus arteriosus of the fetus, especially okay. after 32 weeks. Good point. Good point. So it sounds like we can use the, the fundamental elements of the McCullough protocol or FLCC protocol. You know, one area I've been so impressed with has been the 12 studies and three large randomized trials of virucidal uh, washes in the nose and mouth where sniff it back, spit it out, and then gargle with it. You know, don't swallow it using povidone, iodine, or hydrogen peroxide. Do you see any concerns there? Uh, I, no, I've recommended that. Uh, every single one of my pregnant women that, that uh, you know, I consult with, uh, they have a home nebulizer uh, just for security purposes. They have iodine, they have hydrogen peroxide. And I've outlined protocols where I use not only the swishes, the, the swish and swallow with um, several drops of um, SSI uh, daily is really uh, healthy for the immune system, as you know, and also for the, the fetal and maternal thyroid stress in, in pregnancy. So, so that's, a, that's easy and it's safe. Um, hydrogen peroxide, uh, as you know, is a, uh, and ozone, by the way, are, 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 as you know, are extremely potent immune modulators, uh, natural substances released by the white blood cells. So um, they're very important uh, for the NRF2 pathway and many others. But so I, um, I know that the iodine, but, but also uh, the hydrogen peroxide nebulizing can completely uh, eradicate um, any early infection in the oral, nasal, and even in the sinus uh, passageways. So uh, I, I use a standard recipe, um, Dr. Other obstetricians, like, for example, um, Dr. Northrup, who, who you probably know well, she's a very, very famous um, obstetrician our age that has written multiple books. Um, she, she uses the same recipes that I do, but they're very safe. They're very effective. Point out there's a paper by Pinellas and colleagues in Annals of Internal Medicine and one by Winky and Collie colleagues in JAMA, showing that actually pregnant women compared to non-pregnant women adjusted for other medical problems actually do better with COVID-19. They, they do better. So I have not bought into this idea that pregnancy is an immune compromised state. Uh, it, it's in it, many times that pregnant women are more robust uh, and ready to handle things. And I think it's sad that any pregnant woman has been hospitalized or lost, lost, lost lives due to COVID-19. Some of them occurred very early. There was actually one in our family. It was tragic very early before we knew what was going on before there was uh, no, that's the reason why I work so hard with, and people like you and in your circles, we work so hard to come up with a treatment approach. I was not going to allow my patients or allow patients in the nation or the world to be slaughtered by the virus if I had something uh, to do about it. Now, let me ask you about this vignette. This came up on Fox News. Many uh, of the listeners know I'm a frequent contributor to Fox News. I was just on last night with Dan Bongino, but I was on Laura Ingram with Harvey Risch, and Harvey brought up a vignette from the VAR system. There was a breastfeeding mother. She took the COVID-19 vaccine and then two days later, the baby had a hemorrhagic death. The, uh, the nursing infant had a hemorrhagic death. Do you think that's related to the vaccine? Absolutely, it is. I'm very familiar with that case. And I spoke with many experts around the country, like yourself, about that case, uh, in, including um, Naomi Wolf, 
and, and many others. So it's, we need more information. You, you, Dr. McCulloch, have gone through the criteria for causality versus causation. Um, so you know that best. And, you know, when you have a five-month-old, healthy, beautiful, gorgeous creation from the Most High God that is breastfeeding, that it's growing normally, that's smiling, that's reached all their milestones. And, um, oh, by the way, the hospital system, you know, and, and this is still going on. I'm getting local patients, nurses being threatened for termination to get the vaccine in breastfeeding. I'm working with a case locally. And so when that woman is browbeat into taking the vaccine, which she doesn't feel comfortable doing, her baby immediately starts getting fussy, starts not responding, uh, getting lethargic. Uh, oh, you go into the hospital, the platelets are extremely low. There's severe thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura. This is a classic uh, vaccine adverse reaction. And to try to say that this is just coincidence is complete nonsense. It never should have been used. And by the way, Dr. McCullough, it's not incumbent upon Dr. McCullough or Dr. Thorpe or patients to prove that they've been damaged by the vaccine. They got it backwards. It was incumbent upon them to prove that it was safe before it was rolled out. Sure. Or, or you know, have uh, some clear cut uh, alternative explanation, you know, from a regulatory standpoint that, um, uh, you know, any event occurring within 30 days of administration of a novel product like a COVID-19 vaccine is due to the vaccine. It's due to the vaccine. The, the regulatory agencies, they don't discern anything else. They don't say, well, you have to prove this or prove that. And I wanted to bring up just because it was so striking. It's up on my Twitter feed right now. This is a this doesn't do with pregnancy, Dr. Thorpe, but this is just horrible. Uh, the first author is Burled and colleagues. It was published in JAMA this week. Data from Norway, Finland, and Denmark. These are not huge countries on brain damage with the vaccines: AstraZeneca, uh, Pfizer, and Moderna. They recorded in these countries. 7,757 neurologic events categorized into brain hemorrhage, clotting, and major stroke, disabling. I'll read that again, 7,757 within 28 days of administration. This is a wrecking machine. Oh my gosh, that, that is, I haven't seen that report. I'm, I'm gonna look at it, it's, it's catastrophic. Um, it, it is, again, the, we, we are being neutered, so to speak, by the um, cartel um, neutralizing VAERS pharmacovigilance data because taking isolated, out-of-context statements regarding the VAERS and then completely throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, it was never, you can't prove anything. It's just, that's nonsense. In, in my VAERS analysis, I'm comparing apples with apples. You know, I'm comparing, okay, what's the incidence of a adverse reaction in pregnancy 
with the COVID-19 vaccine compared with that of the influenza vaccine, which, which we've used for 30 years. And you put that in the numerator and the denominator, and, and you don't, that is extraordinarily powerful data. That's you can't a, ignore it. Yeah, that's a very fair comparison. You know, this week, some other news developments. Uh, earlier in the week, the World Council for Health, which represents over 70 uh, international organizations in this space, officially called for a market withdrawal of all the vaccines. And it was based on a pharmacovigilance report. They looked at every database, not just VAERS, but all the other worldwide databases, 39 of them. They relied on four major uh, large vaccine databases. And in those 3.5 million people in the world injured by the vaccines that they know about and certify and uh, 40,000 dead after the vaccines. You probably are aware of the data from Pentazatos, who believes the upper yes. uh, limit of the confidence interval you know, of Americans who may have died through December is, uh, is, is 287,000 Americans. That would coincide with the Lincoln National Report that came out this week from life insurance companies, 63% excess in life insurance claims of employed working age people. That came out this week. Right on the right before the FDA approved vaccination for for uh, children age uh, six months and up, and uh, the CDC also recommended it. Your reaction? Abomination! It's an abomination, and and I don't want to throw around any names or any you know malign anybody, but I would just ask uh, you and and every physician, every person in the country, to do your own due diligence and look at conflicts of interest, major fiduciary conflicts of interest of the medical journals and of these people that are the academics and these people that are on the expert voting committee, uh, 16 of them with the FDA, do they have conflicts of interest with Gilead or with other pharmaceutical companies that are creating this vaccine? Do they have, this is public information, you, I'm not going to make any um, any allegations, but go out and do your own due diligence for all of you listeners. The information is out there. This is outrageous that there could be so many conflicts of interest in people voting to kill your children and maim your children with this vaccine. Well, the you're, vaccine you're bringing up, yeah, you're bringing up the issue. While we have one worldwide organization calling for product withdrawal. Could we have other corrupted regulatory agencies? There's frankly corrupted now, conflicts of interest and a variety of drivers at work. Uh, many of the listeners saw me last night on Fox News, Dan Bongino, and asked, Dan asked point blank, this is what I said. Uh, because the CDC has told us 75% of kids have already had COVID through February. Now we, we are into June. That means probably well over 80, 90% of kids have already had the illness. I said the following reasons, no. Uh, they should not be FDA approved or CDC advised. Number one, it's not medically necessary. Number two, there's no clinical indication because it's a mild illness characteristically. Number three, there are no randomized trials demonstrating clinical benefit. That's our standard. They don't, they don't exist. Uh, three, and number four, there are failed real world studies. Dora Bawila and Fleming Dutra in JAMA have shown in children that vaccines don't influence uh, rates of any illness. Number five, there's an unacceptable side effect and adverse event rate as published by House and colleagues in MMWR 
December 31st, 21st, 21 issue. And then lastly, most importantly, there are no assurances, none, that this is going to be safe long-term. None. Everything we're learning about the messenger RNA and the spike protein is bad, 100% bad. And if we take a child, Dr. Thorpe, who's perfectly healthy, a perfectly healthy six-month-old child, perfectly healthy, we cannot make that child healthier with every six-month injections of the genetic code for the Wuhan spike protein. Would you agree with all that? thousand percent. These are exactly the same arguments that I've been coming at with um, towards the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology with multiple, multiple uh, communications in writing and and finally in publication, um, which I, I thank you for being an author on that. Well, you know, I think it's really important that people understand that the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and the American College of Pediatrics, American Board of Internal Medicine, American Medical Association, they are getting formal communications from Dr. Thorpe, from myself, from Senator Ron Johnson, and we are calling them into the open. We are calling them into the open for a fair roundtable discussion. In fact, Senator Ron Johnson's official letter to the American Board of Internal Medicine has actually given dates at the end of July and August. I'll take off. Dr. Thorpe and others will take off. We'll be happy to sit down with, meet with them, but they must face us to go over the data in a fair review so we can get this out in the open. They want to meet in secret and commit acts of reprisal against me and many of our colleagues out there. You know, I'm held up right now as the tip of the spear since I'm a frequent commentator on the news. Um, but I can tell you it is affecting and corrupting all of medicine. If we cannot have a fair discussion and dialogue on viewpoints. All the papers that we reviewed today on this interview, Dr. Thorpe and myself, we cited, and we cited for a reason. So you can go look them up. You can go online, go to PubMed, go and do Google searches, other searches, find them. I'll reference as many as I can with the McCullough report, because that's how science works. No two doctors agree on anything. We actually have scientific discourse to advance the field forward. Dr. Thorpe, any final words or comments from the McCullough Report audience? The, um, the disasters of thalidomide, the disasters of the Dalcon shield, the disasters of diethylstilbestrol are dark clouds over my uh, specialty, OBGYN. They've been disastrous. Mark my words, the COVID-19 vaccine the disaster is going to make thalidomide, DES, and the Dalcon shield look like prenatal vitamins. We have, I think, a safety catastrophe on our hands, a biological disaster playing out in real time. The issues are only some of the doctors can see it and others can't. Well, we're going to have to leave it there, Dr. Thorpe. Thank you so much for joining us on the McCullough Report. Thank you, Dr. McCullough, for having me. God bless you. God bless you. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.